And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Kevin, we had a busy week once again. We have several things that we want to get to on the podcast this week, but I want to start. You had a special report uh, really drilling into some of the publicly available data about a teacher bonus program in the state of Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've actually looked at this for the last two years, and there's some problems and some irregularities with the data. But tell us what we're looking at uh, and, and then uh, kind of break down what you found and what the issues are. Yeah, let's start with kind of the, the 101 of what this program is. It's uh, the state's leadership premium program. And it was passed in 2014 overwhelmingly by the legislature. The idea kind of sprang from the Education Task Force of 2013. And the idea here is to provide... Uh, nobody calls them bonuses, at least officially, sure. but but in effect, that's what they are. Yeah. They are they're they're premiums that go to teachers who take on added roles or take on added responsibilities, and that may be uh, mentoring your your colleagues, that may be uh, doing some college and uh, academic counseling, uh, maybe taking uh, or teaching a dual credit course. So there's there are several different ways a teacher can qualify for one of these premiums, and the idea is that it's. It's supposed to be extra money uh, to teachers who take on extra responsibilities. And it's a significant chunk of money. Uh, The year that I looked at, the year that the report uh, focused on, uh, we're talking about uh, about $17 million in in premiums. And that figure continues to rise as... uh, as schools add teachers and as uh, the state continues to grow, it's all kind of tied to the number of teachers uh, on staff around the state. What we looked at and what the uh, what, what the state report took a look at was uh, the year 2015-2016, yep. where the premiums were spent and how they were spent. And, and a couple of things really kind of jumped out at me as uh, as I reported it. You still had, you had a handful of districts that gave premiums basically to their entire staff or almost their entire staff. And, and that kind of defeats the legislative intent here, which was uh, to try to give premiums to select teachers who take on added roles. Yeah, it's the not, ones that stand out, the right, ones that go the extra mile, right? right? The, the, yeah, it's not supposed to be an across-the-board premium. That's uh, the le- legislature's stated intent from the beginning. It's not really spelled out in in statute, but that's uh, been the intention all along. Sure. That was one of the takeaways. The other takeaway for this period, uh, the minimum premium was supposed to be $850. As we looked at the data, you had a number of districts give out premiums that were below that $850 threshold. One was as low as $75. Yeah. Um, Congratulations! Here you go. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's. I mean, it's better than nothing, but sure. it's, it's certainly not even close to what the law specifies. <laughs> yeah. And that was a source of some uh, concern at the legislature. So you've already seen changes in the law in, in response to some of these issues. Uh, right now, the minimum premium is, is set at nine hundred dollars, yeah. and the law is very specific in terms of that nine hundred dollar floor applies to a part-time employee or a full-time employee. If uh, a teacher takes on responsibilities that are eligible for a premium, they're supposed to get at least $900. But 
in this review period, you had quite a few districts, uh, close to 20 districts and charters, that gave that premiums below that uh, below that threshold. And I don't think I'm I'm revealing state secrets here in saying that the reason they raised it from 850 to 900 was a specific attempt from the legislature to make sure that not every teacher could get it if the rules were followed, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, it basically makes the math impossible yeah. in terms of trying to give out an, an across-the-board premium. The, the idea of this premium was, again, to reward select teachers for taking on added responsibilities, not uh, give the identical premium or give a premium to every teacher. So we haven't seen yet how that uh, how that threshold has affected premiums because, you know, that didn't go into effect until... 2016. So what we're looking at is kind of the, you know, the state of the premium program a couple of years in. Another thing that kind of jumped out, and this jumped out to uh, Wendy Horman, a former school trustee who's now a very prominent member of the legislature who sits on uh, the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. When districts and charters report why they gave a premium to a specific staff member. There's, they have several different criteria that they can use, and they're supposed to report to the state what criteria they use. It turns out that about 60% of the premiums, the district said that they, they gave the premiums out uh, because of you know, added responsibilities as determined to be leadership tasks by the trustees. So it's kind of this catch-all that allows a school board to look at what uh, what they believe that they need in their district and award leadership premiums accordingly. But it really doesn't tell you exactly why. Yeah. And uh, that kind of raised uh, a red flag for, for Representative Horman, who's saying, you know, are these premiums really going to uh, teachers who are performing tasks that tie into student achievement that will improve student outcomes? Mentoring is one of those areas yep. where there is research that says, you know, you, you, you have teacher mentors, they will help uh, teachers do better, and that will uh, lead to in improvements in student achievement. But when you look at the numbers, only 22% of the premiums specifically, specifically went to teachers who are performing a mentoring role. Now, there are probably some in that 60% right. who are doing a, a mentoring uh who are taking on mentoring responsibilities. I no just question about that, but it doesn't really out. clearly say that. Yeah. So some questions about why the premiums went to, who they went to, and again, the amounts of the premiums. So that's kind of what we looked at and tried to get a sense of what's going on with this program. Unfortunately, it's really the best we can do right now is kind of a snapshot in time, because uh, even though this is the second year the State Department of Education has compiled data on the leadership premiums, the first report, and we covered it last legislative session, was was fraught with with errors, including just some basic arithmetic. Mistakes. Yeah, taking two sums of money and dividing it out or adding it up and, and just not having it equal out. It just right. didn't just, make just sense. Just some bad math that you know was irrefutably bad math. Yeah. Uh, that is still basically the document that's in place. Uh, the State Department of Education never went back to try to correct that document to try to. Uh, um, to try to you know correct some of the errors. So for me as a reporter, I felt like it was impossible to even try to draw comparisons between 2014-15 and 2015-16 because there were so many questions raised in that earlier report that have never really been resolved. I, I didn't think it was you know, reliable, and, and I think it was yeah. 
you know, responsible to try to draw parallels between one year to the next. So we've we got the new numbers and, you know, we'll see if we can, you know, as this program continues, maybe uh, look at sort of the trend lines. Another little wrinkle in, in this data set, in this program, Kevin, is that a couple school districts are perhaps taking issue with uh, the state report. It's not really clear if there's an error in there or where the error would have originated, but walk me through that. It sounded like a couple school districts uh, weren't totally in agreement with the numbers you presented, or with the numbers you got from the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of those uh, disputes really go back to that first report yeah. from 1415. From but in this report, the 2015-16 report, Boise is one of the districts that's listed as awarding a smaller premium, a uh, $300 premium in their case. Uh, when I talked to an administrator at the Boise district, uh, she said, you know, that was, there was some confusion. That $300 premium was not paid for with the state leadership premium dollars, which have all, all these uh, requirements that go with it. Boise says that they paid that $300 bonus out of local general fund money, which you know, they have a lot more freedom to, to spend. And that they had asked the State Department of Education to edit the report and, and to reflect that. But uh, the report that we saw still lists Boise as giving out a $300 uh, leadership premium. Um, I've asked the State Department of Education to, you know, to respond to that, to either confirm what Boise is saying or refute it. Uh, they really hadn't. Um, what I did hear from the department was that uh, sometimes these, uh, these numbers that were presented in this report were supposed to reflect only the state leadership premium dollars, but that it's possible that some local dollars may have been re- reflected in this report. Um, so that may be a source of some of the confusion. But but again, I, I think you've still got some districts who are a little bit upset with the data that's coming out from the state because they feel like it's inaccurate. Um, you know, West Ada, I think, is still upset because the earlier report uh, suggested that in 2014-15, that the district gave out premiums to every teacher. And that's the state's, state's largest state's school district. largest district with, with hundreds and hundreds of teachers. So I think there's still some, I think there's still some, some hard feelings about that first report and, you know, you know Boise uh, disputing the findings, at least uh, in this 2015-16 report. And the top officials from the State Department of Education are at least aware that there are some concerns perhaps some irregularities. I was at a legislative roadshow earlier in the week, and the chief deputy superintendent uh, talked to several, a couple hundred uh, educators and administrators who were at this conference and said, uh, th- you know, this year the minimum is $900. You cannot give less than $900, and you're not supposed to give it to everybody. And so uh, I'm not sure where the irregularities or the issues with the data originated, but the State Department of Education at least is aware of it and, and, and did try to talk to school districts about, hey, the legislature has changed the law. There are some specific requirements in here. Uh, so it is an issue that they're aware of. I'm not sure who originated the errors, though, or who's responsible right. for it. It sounds like the department is trying to get the word out to locals yeah. that this is how you're supposed to uh, award these premiums here at the ground rules. So we'll see if that reflects in the next round of data when we see the next round of data probably next year. So, well, what we saw this year were some some irregularities, and you know, at least one legislator that I contacted this week, Julie Van Orden, the chair of the House Education Committee, um, 
at least hinted at the idea that, well, if there are problems with how this, uh, how this is being awarded, how this is being implemented, you know, we may have to revisit the law. Yeah, uh, which is a powerful statement, and, and, and we'll see if that becomes an issue uh, next session. I, right. I, and, and Representative Van Orden, I mean, we cover her fairly closely. Uh, she is not prone to those kind of statements. No. She's not, you know, she's not a, you know, She's not a bomb thrower. She's pretty measured. Uh, so for her to say that uh, suggests that she's got some some concerns. Sure. It's a fascinating story. It's really important for anybody that follows the legislature, that follows the state budget process, that cares about uh, teacher pay, teacher recruitment, and teacher bonuses. It really checks off all those boxes. Those are big issues uh, that the state is facing right now. And so I'd head over to IdahoEdNews.org. Uh, you talked with several school districts. You talked with folks at the state. Uh, so if people want to take a little bit deeper dive, uh, take a little bit closer look at where the money is going and what some of these irregularities might be, uh, that's there for you to dissect at uh, Idaho Education News. And so uh, congratulations. That's oh, a, a, a great report. No, it was a fun one to put together. Let's talk about your Tuesday night because you yeah. had a chance to hear um, an earful about the never-ending debate over science standards. Uh, get us caught up about uh, the hearing, uh, the, the themes from the hearing, and where do we go from here? Sure. Over the past two weeks, the State Department of Education has kind of held a uh, traveling public hearing roadshow uh, throughout six different regions of the state or so. But this has to do with the new science standards debate that was uh, a big deal during the legislative session. For the first time in a number of years, the legislature approved, however, on a temporary basis, new science standards. But they did so after removing, controversially, five standards that reference human impact on the environment and climate change. Uh, and so uh, this was always a temporary decision. We expect it to go back to the legislature next year in 2018. Uh, and this was kind of the first step of that process of bringing it back in 2018 played out over the last two weeks with these public hearings. There was a very small public hearing in Idaho Falls right. the week before. Just five people showed up. Totally different story in Boise on Tuesday night. Uh, easily 100 people crammed in to a conference room uh, at a Boise hotel. There were people standing against the wall and sitting in doorways. Every seat was taken. And every single person uh, who testified or who gave an interview to Idaho Education News uh, strongly, passionately, uh, there was no... Uh, misunderstanding of where they stood, they wanted the science standards passed totally intact. We heard from community members, we heard from parents, we heard from several teachers at the K-12 and at the university level and members of the scientific community. And there were a couple of points that I thought uh, were interesting. One teacher from a rural school district stood up and she said, you know, this may not affect a big school district like Boise or West Ada. Which is already teaching. Right. We've talked about how the standards are the minimum and curriculum can be developed at the local level. She said this could create a lot of political tension in smaller rural school districts. If you have a case where a group of parents or a political group mm -hmm. challenges what's being taught uh, in classrooms regarding, say, climate change, regarding human impact on the environment, then you have a situation where there's tension potentially and a principal or a teacher does not have official state standards to fall back on, and so it could create uh, a controversy in a local school district. The standards that, provide a form of political cover for yeah. that teacher and that principal and superintendent. And so that was a, a big part of the concern that, that people were talking about. Uh, people had, it was a really, it was a different kind of public hearing. F 
folks were given three different options for making their comment. They could stand up and, and give a verbal comment into a recorder, uh, and those would be archived uh, for the State Board of Education and, and potentially lawmakers to listen to. Folks were also given a chance, though, to submit written comments or online comments. Most of the people in the room actually took advantage of those, and so it wasn't this big, long hearing where 50 people stood up one by one and, and gave comments. A lot of folks gave uh, written comments, and you have until next week to do so. There's a link at the State Department of Education's website, and there's a link uh, at the uh, in our stories at Idaho Education News if you're interested in, in leaving an online comment if you weren't able to attend any of those hearings. But, it, but go ahead. But, yeah. But, it, but it's to what degree is it kind of deja vu all over again? We we had the hearings last year. We had overwhelming support for the standards. I mean, Superintendent Navarro spoke about that at the legislature this year, 400 comments, all but 17 in favor of the standards. So is this going to change the dialogue come next legislative session? In that context, that history was not lost on several of the people who attended the meeting in Boise. Uh, they said they were frustrated and clearly confused by the legislature. They said, okay, we're all here in favor of the standards. Is it going to make a difference? And they specifically talked about the 400 plus comments last year and the fact that only 17 were critical um, of, of the standards that were presented. I, I, I think people are losing faith in the legislature. They're concerned that their voice would not be heard. Uh, and so that wasn't lost, uh, that this has become a political process uh, and that um, this is the third year and really very much the third year of people overwhelmingly favoring the standards that were developed by a group of the top uh, science teachers in the state of Idaho and members of the scientific community. There was also a little confusion um, about why the legislature is even in the mm. business of approving science standards, why it wasn't left up to educators, why it had become political. And, and here's um, your civics lesson. And, and this gets into you the had weeds. a say in this. This uh, gets into the weeds a little bit. But in November, there was a constitutional amendment on everybody in the state of Idaho's ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called HJR5. It seemed really confusing and wonky at the time, but it specifically had to do with giving the legislature the authority to approve administrative rules or to reject them, and this is key, in whole or in part, right. mm -hmm. and that that action is not subject to any kind of gubernatorial veto or any other kind of check, that passed with something like 55% right. of the voters signing off on it. Reaffirmed that the legislature has the last word on agency rules and academic standards are agency rules. Here we are, less than four months after the election, and the legislature uh, gladly, proudly exercised that authority. And so that's why we talked about it uh, before the election, and that's why we focused on that uh, confusing little constitutional amendment. But uh, yeah, like you said, academic standards and any number of other uh, rules take the form of administrative rule. The Idaho Core Standards, Common Core, mm -hmm. had taken the form of an administrative rule. So it, it seems confusing, but once you get into the weeds, um, really can have a big impact uh, on policy uh, and, and so forth across the state. And to underscore, you know, after the hearings, after this process of redrafting the standards, 
the final word will go back to the legislature in January of 2018. Sure. We'll, be, uh, we'll be covering committee hearings again, right. looking at what the education committees do on these uh, standards. Probably going to go to the State Board of Education this summer, maybe August for preliminary approval, look for another public comment period at that time. But then but the final the State say, Board approved, yeah. endorsed these rules, including the climate change language going into this The uh, final say session. still uh, rests with the legislature. Right. So that's why... Uh, it, it's important, and, and they will have the final say once again in 2018. Uh, so we'll be covering that closely. The saga um, continues, and yeah. you keep us uh, abreast of it. For, for sure, we will. We'll continue to follow that. We did have a busy week, several interesting stories um, worth looking at. The American Falls School District, kind of in eastern Idaho, is looking at uh, hiring a new superintendent. As we stand right now, recording this podcast on Friday morning, they're down to finalists. It may progress uh, later this week or certainly early next week to name a superintendent. We also have a profile uh, of a student uh, who aced the ACT test, yeah. uh, which is Perfect remarkable. 36 on the ACT. Congratulations. Um, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, one of the most prestigious schools in the country. Andrew Reid does these stories. They're kind of, they're, it's like the overachiever beat. I yeah. mean, these stories, they're very inspirational and they're very, they're very good reading. Uh, but they always make you kind of feel like, wow, <laughs> these guys have done a lot more already than, uh, than most of us have done. But it's a good story. Yeah, check that out. Check out all of our coverage every day at Idaho Education News. And uh, anyways, thanks so much. We have a lot of fun with this podcast. We hope you guys enjoy it too. Uh, next week, we're going to have a special guest we're trying to work out uh, from the Valley View School District. So tune in next week if you want to find out a little bit about the future of that district and a Which question they a, may have for voters. Plan, yes, they have a planned facilities levy on the ballot in May, similar to uh, a proposal that uh, failed in March. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other issues uh, with folks in Valley View. All right. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. I'm Clark Corbin. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.